Well, every year, people who want to study medicine have to sit an entrance exam in a huge hall at Sydney Showgrounds. Thousands of people compete for a couple of hundred places. There's one exam a year, and if you don't do well enough, you have to wait a whole year to do it again, which lots of people do, sometimes four or five times. It's very difficult just to get through that stage and be granted an interview and then you have to make it through the interview and then you've got to make it through almost 10 years of study before you can be a doctor. To make it to the very end, you have to be really committed. You have to really want it. Don't bother starting if you're only half committed. It's good advice. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many will try to enter and will not be able to. And that's what it's like with the kingdom of God as Jesus describes it. Lots of people trying to enter but only a few can make it. Our passage begins with Jesus on the road. He's heading for Jerusalem, his popularity is growing, he's attracting a crowd and so as Jesus goes through the villages there's this great mob who's following. And so someone asks in verse 23, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? How many will make it? How many will make it into eternal life? Out of all these people, how many will make it? Maybe he sees a few, maybe he sees a difference between the huge crowds who hang around as long as it suits them but then wander off and the few that just seem to stick at it, who are genuinely interested, who follow Jesus everywhere. It's a question concerning the others. What about them? How many of them? Uh, Will that denomination make it? What about the Arminians or the Baptists? What about the other religions? What about the person who's never heard the gospel? Oh, what about my lovely grandma who doesn't believe? What about babies who die? It's a question we've probably all asked in one form or another at some time. Uh, What about them? But instead of answering that question, Jesus answers another a question that really should be more important to the questioner about his own salvation. Rather than how many of them, his question should have been, what about me? Will I be saved? That's the question that really matters and so that's the question Jesus answers. He turns to the crowd and he says in verse 24, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, will many be saved? Well, many will try and will not be able to. Salvation is through a narrow door, only a few succeed. Crowds everywhere, people squashing in on Jesus to to teach, to to hear about the kingdom of God and yet he says it's only a narrow door. Multitudes vaguely interested in the entertainment or the free lunch or the miracles or the political leader, but how many who actually follow? who believe, who who recognise God himself in human form and who turn their whole lives around to live for him. It's no different today, is it? People all over Sydney who are interested in Jesus, at least to some extent, who'll say they're spiritual or who'll tick the form on the census to say they believe in God or they're Christian or that they've got some idea or some interest, But Jesus requires far more than just an interest. It's all or nothing. And so only a few make it in. And so what's 
far more important if there's only a few who are going to make it in is to make sure you're one of them. To make every effort that you're not half-hearted like most people. Forget everyone else. Forget how many you make every effort. That's Jesus' point. And then as we move through the next chapter or so, we find out what that looks like. We find out three reasons why the door is so narrow. Why it's going to take every effort to make it into the kingdom of God. And the first reason we find for why the door is so narrow is because the first, they'll be last. Those who think they're at the front of the queue are in for a shock. Jesus continues, Make every effort because many will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us, but he'll answer, I don't know you or where you come from. He's talking to the Jews. He's talking to God's elect people. The ones God had promised a saviour for and he's saying the door to the kingdom, well it's open at the moment but it won't be open forever. One day the chance will be gone because the owner of the house is going to lock the door. Jesus is talking about himself. He's the owner of the house. You can tell that from what he says next. Verse 26, then you'll say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he'll reply, I don't know you, away from me. They thought they knew Jesus because he'd walked their streets. He taught and ate and drank among them. But for all that knowledge, all that opportunity, all that familiarity, it didn't translate over into faith. They didn't back up what they knew with lives of loyalty and commitment. And so Jesus, the owner of the house, the keeper of the door, the judge, issues the verdict, I don't know you. And Jesus warned, when that realisation hits on judgement day, it'll be a time of despair because they've missed out. Verse 28, they'll see that their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, they're there, but not them. And to add insult to injury, verse 29, there'll be people from all over the world who'll make it, but they won't. Gentiles will make it through the door, but it'll be shut to the Jews. And so verse 30, the last will be first, and the first will be last. Those who expected it will miss out, while those who least expected it, who are furthest away, will accept the gift, put their trust in Jesus and make it in. And it's the same for us today. Each one of us, Jesus calls to make every effort, to make sure we know Jesus personally, personally, and that we're not trusting something or someone else, that we're not thinking that there's something else which puts us at the front of the line because if that's what we're thinking, we're in danger of missing out. And so we're not to trust our heritage, Presbyterian through and through, for generations. You're not to trust your church attendance, that you never miss a week. Those things do not put you at the front of the line. You're not to trust your family, Christians as far back as you can trace. That doesn't put you at the front of the line. Your education, 
You know all the stories. You know the Bible verses. You know the right answers. That doesn't put you at the front of the line. Neither do your morals. So many other people doing bad things. You're much better than them. Surely that puts you at the front of the line? No. Your work ethic. You're the first to volunteer. That doesn't put you at the front of the line. Your generosity. Always first to put your hand into your pocket when there's a need. That doesn't put you at the front of the line. Trusting anything else for your entry into the kingdom, it's dangerous, says Jesus. Trust him. Beware the gate is narrow, the first will be last. The second reason the gate is narrow is because only the humble can enter. There's not too many humble people around. That's why the gate's narrow. We're into chapter 14. Jesus is eating with the enemy, a prominent Pharisee. There's no generous hospitality, instead there's a trap. A man with dropsy, a fluid build-up in the legs, right there in front of Jesus and it just so happens to be the Sabbath and they think they know what Jesus is going to do for this poor unfortunate man. If he heals him, well that's work and that's breaking the rules. But in all their plotting, all their scheming, they've forgotten about this poor sick man. He's just a pawn in their plans. But Jesus doesn't forget him. The door door to the kingdom might be narrow, but it's a perfect fit for people like this guy, for humble people, for helpless people, for people on the fringes, the least and the lost and the last. It's a narrow door, but it's perfect for this guy. And so Jesus heals him, sends him on his way, restored. That's what the kingdom's about. It's rescuing the weak and the humble And then he turns to the leaders. If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath, won't you immediately pull him out? You wouldn't think twice about breaking your man-made rules to rescue your own family or your property. So where's your compassion for this guy? In your pride, you've forgotten that the door to the kingdom is for the humble. And he wins the round. Verse 6, they've got nothing to say. But Jesus isn't finished yet. He follows up that left jab with a three-punch combination. Firstly, a word for the guests, then a word for the host, and then a word for the pompous. Well, firstly, the guests. He's targeting pride. And he's noticed that same attitude of pride and lack of compassion uh, as the guests arrive for lunch. And he notices how they all take the best seats, those closest to the host or to the bar, furthest away from the kitchen or the toilets, the ones with the best view. And Jesus says they've got it all wrong. Take the lowest seat instead, he says, so you can be moved up when the host notices. Imagine the mileage you could get out of that. And he concludes in verse 7, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, at the very least, he's talking about social etiquette, wise and sensible ways to interact with people, but he's talking about much more than that. He's talking about entry into the kingdom. He's talking about the narrow door. The one who humbles himself, the one who puts others before himself as a regular pattern of behaviour, is someone who recognises his own weakness and inadequacy and who turns to God in repentance They're the sort of people who enter the kingdom of God. 
They're the sort of people that the Father will exalt and move up to a, a better place. It's narrow because it just doesn't come naturally to be humble for people. We naturally go to the front of the queue rather than the back, don't we? And yet humility is what we need to enter the kingdom. The door's narrow because it only fits the humble. Well, that's the guests. Jesus turns to the hosts, verse 12. How this sickness of pride and lack of compassion affects him. The temptation when you throw a party is to invite the best, to invite those who have the most to offer you in return. But instead Jesus says, don't invite those people, Uh, don't invite those who you owe or have something to give you. Instead, invite the opposite, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, those who've got nothing, and Jesus says you'll be blessed. You probably won't be blessed in this life, but an orientation towards the humble has benefits in the next life. Verse 14, he says, you'll be blessed. Although they can't repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. There's a promise from God, bank it, you can trust it. Uh, Too often we look to what other people can do for us and look for an immediate return on any investment we make. Uh, There's someone I know who won't start a conversation with me unless he wants something. He'll just ignore me until he wants something. Always looking out. And as soon as the phone call comes or the email, I know what's coming. It'll start politely enough, asking how I'm going and the family, but I'm waiting for it and it always comes, what he wants me to do for him. Or maybe you've got friends who are only interested when they talk to you in talking about themselves. They're not really interested in you or what you think or what you've been doing or what your opinions are or what your struggles are, but they're really quick to tell you all about them. Are you like that? Don't be like that, says Jesus. Listen well. Uh, Look for opportunities to give rather than to take. Look for how you can bless people rather than how you can be blessed. The door into the kingdom is narrow because only the humble enter it. You show that you're humble by who you invite, who you welcome into your life. Choose those who can't repay you. God loves that sort of behaviour. Well, third, Jesus has a word for the arrogant, for the overconfident or the pompous. At least that's the way I interpret verse 15. It's interesting, have a look at it. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, he assumed he'd be part of the kingdom. He assumes his invitation's there, he's signed, sealed and delivered. The feast in the kingdom, that's me, I've got my ticket booked, it's going to be great. You assume that when you've got tickets, you actually have a seat. But from personal experience, can I just tell you it's not always so? I've done this twice now. You'd think I would learn my lesson the first time. I've bought movie tickets online before I go to the movie so I don't have to line up. I turn up, I find my seat, and then I find there's someone else sitting in my seat. And I get a bit, yeah, what are you doing sitting in my seat? But they pull out their tickets and sure enough, they're in the same 
seats that the tickets say and then I take a close look at my seat and I've actually bought tickets for tomorrow's show instead. Uh, Luckily there's always plenty of spare seats. It doesn't pay to be too confident. Just because you think you've got a ticket it doesn't mean you've got a right to be there. Well, this pompous man at the table seems to be making that same assumption. I'm in. No worries. Isn't it going to be great? Aren't we all blessed? And so Jesus tells him a story about a man who holds a banquet and invites all the guests and they all reply, yes, we'd love to come, we're in. But it's not a priority. And so when the reminder notice comes, suddenly they come up with excuses. Life just takes over. They're too busy to come. So instead the host invites those who he knows will come. He invites the humble, those people whose stomachs are grumbling and haven't had a solid meal for weeks. He he knows they'll come. The poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame, nothing is more important to them than that feast. But the arrogant guests, those who presume they had the ticket, well, they miss out. Verse 24, I tell you not, one of those men who were invited will get a taste. Nothing should be more important than making sure you get to that feast. Don't worry about what others think. Don't worry about the busyness of life. Don't fear the ridicule of family. Don't wait until you've earned enough money or married or finished your study. Don't wait until the kids grow up. The door to the kingdom is narrow because only the humble enter it. Accept God's invitation. Do it now. The humble make God's kingdom their top priority. And God loves that sort of behaviour. Well, the third reason the door is narrow is because total commitment is required. And not many people have it. Verse 25, large crowds were travelling with Jesus and turning to them he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, they're challenging words, aren't they? They're enough to make you stop and think, wow, can I do that? Can I sign up for that? Is that me? Jesus gives us two parts to that total commitment. He says total love is required. Jesus must be more important than everything else. Now, he doesn't mean we're to literally hate our family, but we are to love Jesus more than our family. For most of us, that's just a theoretical choice because our families will accept us whatever our choices. And yet in many parts of the world, this verse is full of meaning, isn't it? To convert to Christianity means you're disowned by your family. You're rejected. Love for Jesus will mean hatred from your family. You must love Jesus that much, he says. Your loyalty to him must mean that his opinion of you matters more than the opinion of your family. Your family wants you to study one thing but you believe Jesus wants you to training for something else. You must follow Jesus' opinion. 
Your family thinks one thing, money, success is important. Jesus thinks something else is important. You must listen to Jesus. His opinion matters. Total love is required, says Jesus. Secondly, the door to the kingdom is narrow because total service is required. Give everything, verse 27. Go to the cross. Take up your cross. Jesus demands everything. He went to the cross. He expects the same from us. How dare we get angry or complain when things are difficult because we're Christians? How dare we get indignant when people make fun of us? They killed Jesus. Jesus says that's just what we should expect. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Life will be difficult, uncomfortable, sacrificial when you follow Jesus. That's his plan. Get used to it. It's what you signed up for. The door to the kingdom is narrow because total commitment is required. Total love and total service. Total heart and total hand. And because that's the case, Jesus wants to make sure we count the cost. We're to make sure we finish what we start. Don't sign up if you're not serious. Think seriously about whether you're willing to give what it takes. Like someone building a tower. A half-built tower is a sign of foolishness. You've run out of money. Why would you bother starting? Or a king who goes to war foolishly uh, when his army is not big enough to win. That's just dumb. If following Jesus requires such total commitment, make sure you think about it before you start. Now, that's a question that you do need to ask before you become a Christian and yet it's one we also need to make every day, isn't it? We need to ask that every day. Am I willing to put my love for Jesus above the love for my family? Am I willing to do it today? Am I willing to take up my cross today and follow Jesus? Are my choices today, are they showing that I love Jesus more than I love my wife or my kids? Are you willing to take up your cross to follow Jesus? How is your life different because you're a Christian? How is it harder? How is it longer? How are your struggles greater because you're a Christian? How much less sleep or leisure time is there in your day because you follow Jesus? Are you willing to show your love for Jesus in the humility of everyday relationships as you serve people? Jesus says, ask yourself those questions and count the cost. Make every effort to enter the narrow door. Many try, but only a few will make it. But Jesus says it's worth it. So make every effort. Let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, these are sobering words. Uh, We'd like to think that uh, the door into the kingdom is wide and it's easy. Uh, and yet you say different. Uh, We know it's different if we are honest with ourselves. Uh, We'd prefer it if it was easy uh, and if everyone just got in. 
Uh, And yet you challenge and warn and instruct us uh, to make every effort. And so we pray that you would be at work in us, that you'd give us your perspective and your priorities, that our eyes might be fixed on you and on others rather than ourselves, uh, that we might in humility and weakness turn to you and that you might supply us with what we need so that none of us miss out. Help us to look around, help us to rescue the wandering and lost sheep uh, that many more will enter uh, as we all make that effort. Help us as a church, Lord God, to help each other uh, for your honour and glory. Amen.